And we start the show with breaking news. Breaking news from Apex Fantasy League, an exciting place to play seasonal fantasy football for money. It's a skill-based format, industry-leading payouts. Apex ensures the best fantasy players win big money because not only does Apex have high-stakes payouts, if you truly trust your fantasy football skills, Apex is the place to play that mitigates randomness. The platform features blind bidding, i.e., Fair free agent acquisitions and two matchups per week versus single head-to-head matchups that are more susceptible to randomness. So go to apexfantasyleagues.com, sign up today, and start winning big. The Tennessee Titans have traded Doriel Green Beckham to the Philadelphia Eagles for some guy I've never heard of. I know he's a lineman. Okay. Doesn't matter. He's a guy I've never heard of. Doriel Green Beckham was traded for a guy I've never heard of. <laughs> Why am I laughing? Because I don't own Doriel Green Beckham in any format. Why is that? Because Doriel Green Beckham isn't the prospect he was sold to be. He's the reason player profiler exists. He's 6'5", 237. So is Kelvin Benjamin, who I have regularly dismissed at his current top 40 ADP. And at Doriel Green Beckham's 110 redraft ADP, I was dismissive. And at Doriel Green Beckham's much higher dynasty ADP, I was even more dismissive because if you go to playerprofiler.com, you will see average college dominance, average college efficiency. A 20.4 breakout age is exactly 50th percentile and up and down workout metrics. 98th percentile height adjusted speed score. I mean, 123.0 height adjusted speed score is a phenomenal height adjusted speed score. He's absolutely a speed size phenom. But a lot of speed size phenoms come into the NFL and never produce. We know this. He has no burst and below average agility. So when you average out all his workout metrics, they're average. Because he lacks upper body strength, his Spark X score is below average. So what is he? He's an average prospect who transferred from Oklahoma to Missouri. We don't know exactly why he transferred from Oklahoma to Missouri, but He had tumultuousness in his past, all else being equal. You would like a player to have stability in his background. Doriel Green Beckham did not have that. And then after he transferred to Missouri, he was kicked out. And then once he landed on the Tennessee Titans, he could not climb the depth chart and usurp Harry Douglas and Justin Hunter last year. Couldn't do it. By the end of the season, he was getting regular snaps, but he was not a starter. If you're 6'5", 237, with a 123.0 height-adjusted speed score, and you're drafted in the early second round, the proper expectation is that you will climb the depth chart quickly, and that did not happen. And when that did not happen last year, I immediately throttled back any enthusiasm I harbored for Doriel Green Beckham, and he dropped in my rankings below other rookies in his class from Stefan Diggs to Tyler Lockett. That adjustment was made on the fly. I was not intractable with my rankings. So many of you remained intractable with your rankings. Even after Doriel Green Beckham underwhelmed as a rookie, he maintained his rank. 
Some of you even elevated him for no reason other than the fact that he's young. He's young. He's athletic. He had buzz. That was it. That's a hollow ranking. I can look at a fantasy analyst rankings and I can see the rankings that have substance and I can see the rankings that are hollow. Especially in Dynasty, it's often the unproven young players who have the hollow ranks. And anytime you saw Doro Green Beckham showing up in the top 30 of any Dynasty wide receiver list, it was obvious. It's obvious. That's a hollow position in the ranks. You can see my Dynasty rankings, playerprofiler.com forward slash player dash rankings. And an exercise that I am always participating in is routinely thinking through all the young players that I have ranked ahead of veterans and reestablishing my case for them to make sure there isn't a rotten, hollow tree in an otherwise high-end forest of talent. Constantly culling the rankings to make sure the Doro Green Beckhams are not assigned ranks they don't deserve. It's a Bayesian process where you're always gleaning new insights, collecting new information, and adjusting your forecast based on the information that you have at your disposal. And the most critical aspect of a Bayesian process is being constantly flexible with your forecasts based on the information you have in front of you. And that's what I strive to do. Just because I made a call a month ago doesn't mean I'm not open to changing my mind as new information comes to light. But the rankings I'm seeing of Doro Green Beckham go beyond intractable. They're delusional. The people at the Dynasty site under the helmet actually believe that Doriel Green Beckham is now more valuable than he was a week ago. What? He was tethered to one of the most precocious, young, ascending quarterback talents in the NFL, and now he's tethered to nobody. Now he's on the Eagles, the most talent-depleted roster in the NFL. That's not an upgrade. I don't care what your perception of Mike Malarkey's offensive system is. As if anyone understands the underpinnings of Mike Malarkey's offensive system and what makes it different from Mike McCarthy's offensive system or Doug Peterson's offensive system. You don't. The idea that Doriel Green Beckham's value has been enhanced with this trade is completely delusional because what did this trade tell us? It revealed to us how those closest to Doriel Green Beckham feel about his future prospects. They don't think he's worth anything. Now knowing that both the Tennessee coaching staff and the Tennessee front office do not think Doro Green Beckham is worth more than a backup offensive lineman is an incredible insight. We now know that Doro Green Beckham's probability of being a bust is incredibly high. We weren't certain of that before. Before the trade, there was a lot more uncertainty about Doro Green Beckham's potential. Now there's a lot less uncertainty about his potential. We know a lot more about him, that he's probably not wired in a way that will allow him to achieve NFL success. Playing wide receiver in the NFL is incredibly difficult. It requires the athlete to be wired in a certain way, to be more passionate about a particular craft than anyone in this audience is passionate about anything in their lives. And Doro Green Beckham clearly lacks that passion. And if we zoom out, as we always talk about, and see the full picture, incorporate his college resume into the evaluation, 
it becomes even more clear. It becomes even more definite. Doro Green Beckham has never been that interested in playing wide receiver. And now the Tennessee Titans have confirmed it. So you should be moving on from Doro Green Beckham instead of somehow amazingly boosting him in your rankings after such an insightful event. But that's Dynasty, man. That's Dynasty. Dynasty leagues are a lot less rational than redraft leagues. And Dynasty analysts are a lot more delusional than redraft analysts. As someone who spends a lot of time in both pools of talent, I can confirm that. Talking yourself into Doro Green Beckham at this point. Selling yourself on the trade being a good thing. What a farce. Doriel Green Beckham, who many fantasy analysts ranked number one in their dynasty rookie rankings in 2015. You know what that means, right? That means that many misguided fantasy analysts were ranking Doriel Green Beckham ahead of Amari Cooper. They did that. It's on the internet. They can't hide from it. It's electronically in plain sight. Right there. Thank you, internet. But how many fantasy analysts excavated their 2015 rankings and raised their hand and said, I was wrong? You'll never hear that. You won't see one tweet explaining how and why I was wrong about Doro Green Beckham. But it was a big deal to put Doro Green Beckham ahead of Amari Cooper because Amari Cooper's because Amari Cooper's college resume and his workout metrics were far superior to Doro Green Beckham. Go and find the fantasy analysts who had Doro Green Beckham ahead of Amari Cooper, and in each case, it exposes a flawed process. Not all misses are created equal. If you thought Bishop Sankey was going to be better than he actually turned out to be in the NFL, you're not alone. No one has a good explanation. What happened to Bishop Sankey? Nobody knows. Ranking Bishop Sankey as the number one running back in the 2014 class is nothing like ranking Doro Green Beckham as the number one wide receiver in the 2015 class because the 2015 class had Amari Cooper in it. Because by putting Doro Green Beckham at the top of your rookie rankings, you're missing Amari Cooper. You're missing everything about Amari Cooper. It means you're ignoring the wealth of indicators telling you that Amari Cooper is the best wide receiver prospect we've seen in years. And to ignore all of those indicators amounts to gross fantasy negligence. If you didn't have Amari Cooper at the top of your 2015 rankings, that's just cause to look under the hood and start asking questions. Do you have an evidence-based process or not? What are you measuring? How are you weighting the input factors in your prospect evaluation methodology? And when you talk to those ranking Doral Green Beckham number one, what you will likely get are stutters and stammers. But what I saw on tape, ah, uh, but what I saw on tape, ah, uh, but his ceiling, ah, uh, blah, 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 blah. That miss reveals the emperors that have no clothes. That all being said, I don't believe in holding analysts accountable. It's fantasy football. It's not serious. No one needs to be held accountable for anything. None of these decisions matter. But here's what I am saying. In the context of fantasy football, when you're trying to make a decision, who to draft? Who are you going to listen to? Whose opinion holds the most weight? That's the question. And if you rank Doro Green Beckham number one in 2015, I believe your opinion should hold less weight 
than those that ranked Amari Cooper number one. And if you believe my opinion holds weight, I strongly urge you to go to playerprofiler.com forward slash concierge and sign up for the program. You'll have real-time access to ask me questions about your draft, about free agent pickups, about trades, and I send one exclusive email a week to all concierge subscribers ranking my top pickups and providing other tips and tricks of the trade every single week. That's just another way you can support the free content on playerprofiler.com and the free content on Roto Underworld Radio. Because if you're asking, who can I trust to provide me with counsel when I'm making fantasy football decisions, I believe that I can act as a reasonable sounding board consigliere for your fantasy team. And one of the reasons why? Because I had Amari Cooper ranked well ahead of every other wide receiver in the 2015 rookie class. Because ranking Doriel Green Beckham ahead of Amari Cooper is an indefensible whiff. It's revelatory. It's a clue that your entire prospect evaluation process is fundamentally flawed. And when we talk about my process, the Roto Underworld process, mine is an analytical process. It's driven by things you can measure. And when you ask me, whose opinion of college prospects do you respect the most? One of the individuals whose opinion hold sway with me is John Moore, formerly of Rotoviz, now at Pro Football Focus. I had him on the Football Die Hard show a few months ago, and one of the prospects we talked about was Tajay Sharp, because Tajay Sharp was number one on his Phenom Index. His Phenom Index essentially looks at the college dominator rating, which is a receiver's share of receiving yards and receiving touchdowns for his team, as well as the breakout age. And the younger and more dominant you are, the better prospect you are. That's how the more analytical fantasy analysts all came to a clear consensus that Amari Cooper was by far and away the best wide receiver prospect in the 2015 class, and it wasn't particularly close. And by ranking Kevin White and or Doyle Green Beckham ahead of Amari Cooper, it was exposing a flawed process. Tarjay Sharp's an interesting case. While he was number one on John Moore's Phenom Index, John Moore did not have him as one of the top wide receivers in the class. Nobody did. Why is that? Because Amari Cooper was dominant at Alabama, not UMass. And Amari Cooper had upper percentile workout metrics. Tajay Sharp does not. Amari Cooper had the stature of a successful NFL wide receiver at 6'1", 210. Tajay Sharp is 6'2", 194. His 4.5540 is below the 50th percentile. His 114.0 burst score, which combines the vertical jump and the broad jump on playerprofiler.com, 14th percentile. And he did not run the agility drill during his workout. So the problem with Tajay Sharp is while he checks the Amari Cooper precocious prospect boxes, a 35% plus dominator rating going all the way back to age 18.7 years old. Wow. One of the youngest prospects in the class. Wow. But you won't find another successful 6'2", 195-pound receiver in the NFL. This is why comps matter. If he achieves WR1 or WR2 status, he will have the lowest BMI of any fantasy viable wide receiver. 
no one is that svelte because NFL cornerbacks practice aggressive press coverage in a way that college cornerbacks do not. So in that way, Tajay Sharp maximizing his physical gift is more similar to the current number one wide receiver on the Tennessee Titans, Rashard Matthews, than he ever was to Doriel Green-Beckham. But all along we knew Doriel Green-Beckham underperformed his athleticism at every level. If you're that much bigger and faster than your contemporaries in college, you should be dominating them to the tune of an 80th percentile or above college dominator. Doro Green Beckham did not do that, just like Cody Latimer did not do that, just like Bryce Butler did not do that. If you underperform your athleticism in college, that is the quintessential wide receiver red flag. On the other hand, when a wide receiver outperforms his athleticism at the college level, that is a green flag. That is a check mark in his favor. And that's what Rashard Matthews did at Nevada. 44.1% college dominator at Nevada, 86th percentile, despite running a 4.6240. That's 22nd percentile. So he was slow with average burst and average agility, an average catch radius, but an incredible college producer. That tells you that Rashard Matthews' wiring was the exact opposite of Doro Green Beckham, that he wanted it more than everyone, that he was more passionate than even the most passionate wide receiver in his peer group, and that even as the Miami Dolphins brought in faster, sexier prospects, he outproduced them, and then he earned a lucrative contract with the Tennessee Titans, a contract that says, you're our number one receiver. So he not only has college dominance on his resume, Rashard Matthews had incredible efficiency even though his quarterback was Ryan Tannehill. The Mike Wallace excuse making you often hear is, well, he was tethered to Ryan Tannehill, so you need to lower expectations. Well, receiving passes from Ryan Tannehill, Rashard Matthews posted a plus 38.0 production premium on playerprofiler.com. That's a situation agnostic efficiency metric, but it's not an individual isolated efficiency metric. If the passes thrown in your direction are not thrown accurately, your production premium will suffer. And yet, receiving passes from one of the worst quarterbacks in the league, Ryan Tannehill, Rashard Matthews posted a top five production premium and a top five yards per target. 10.9 yards per target for Rashard Matthews last year was number one in the NFL. Now he steps in as the number one wide receiver on the Tennessee Titans with an ascending second-year quarterback who was one of the best college quarterback prospects we've ever seen. So the thing to focus on with the Doriel Green-Beckham trade is not Doriel Green-Beckham himself. He's a sideshow in this event. The main event is Rashard Matthews, and that's where your focus should be. The moment the trade occurred, there should have been a Rashard Matthews land rush instead of an elaborate Doriel Green-Beckham rationalization program, which is what we actually saw. Every day that goes by, I am more convinced that most fantasy gamers and most fantasy analysts don't know what the hell they're doing, and they focus on the wrong sorts of details. And the Doriel Green-Beckham trade perfectly illustrates this. It's not about Doriel Green-Beckham. It's all about Rashard Matthews, and it's not really about Tajay Sharp. I understand it's nice for Tajay Sharp that he has one less player to leapfrog on the depth chart. I understand that. But this idea that this makes him instantly relevant in redraft is incorrect. I question whether or not Tajay Sharp can win on the outside. I think he can win on the inside. The problem is he'll be competing with Kendall Wright. 
and Tajay Sharp has been getting all of the first team reps in the slot because Kendall Wright's been hurt. What happens when Kendall Wright returns? We've been talking about this for consecutive shows on the Football Diehards podcast. Go to iTunes, search for Football Diehards with Matt Kelly, and you can go back and listen to our previews of all 32 teams. We just wrapped up the final team-by-team breakdown on the Football Diehards podcast. We recently talked about the Giants and Victor Cruz. We recently talked about the Seahawks and Thomas Rawls. These are all players rehabilitating injuries and seeding first-team reps to rookies who are shining in seven-on-seven drills, non-contact full-team drills, and so on. And I'm seeing so many vines showing Tajay Sharp running routes against air. Okay. That doesn't impress me. Securing passes in the first and second quarter of preseason games, that will impress me. So one of the wide receivers I'm most interested in watching during this preseason is Tajay Sharp because I want to see how he matches up against NFL corners. But I can't simply assume that Tajay Sharp is going to usurp Kendall Wright as the team's starting inside receiver. How could you do that? Kendall Wright is only 26 years old. He has a season on his resume in which he secured more than 90 receptions for more than 1,000 yards. He's a first-round pick in his prime. Tajay Sharp is a 21-year-old fifth-round pick. This is what we talk about zooming out. Get your head out of the vines on your Twitter timeline and see the full picture. Look at the full Kendall Wright profile. Look at the full Tajay Sharp profile and ask yourself... What's more reasonable, that Kendall Wright will be second on the team in target share behind Rashard Matthews or that Tajay Sharp will be second on the team in target share? And any rational fantasy analyst with experience will tell you it's going to be Kendall Wright. It's not going to be Tajay Sharp, even though fantasy analysts are participating in Tajay Sharp hope trafficking. They're drawn to the healthy, shiny new thing. No one wants to talk about the guy wearing the red jersey on the exercise bike. That's not interesting. Tajay Sharp is more interesting to talk about, but just because he's more interesting to talk about doesn't mean he's going to outscore Kendall Wright in fantasy football this year. Drafting Tajay Sharp over Kendall Wright is a sucker play. And when Doro Green Beckham left for Philadelphia, Rashard Matthews jumped in our rankings because he became the number one wide receiver. He became a top 40 redraft wide receiver. And Kendall Wright jumped into the top 50 because of the law of the conservation of targets. Even though Kendall Wright is an inside receiver and Doro Green Beckham was an outside receiver in Tennessee, there's only one quarterback and there's only one football. So Kendall Wright would have cannibalized targets from Doro Green Beckham and vice versa. Just not as many as would have been cannibalized if they played the same position. Go to my rankings, playerprofiler.com forward slash player dash rankings, and you can see where I have Rashard Matthews versus Kendall Wright versus Tajay Sharp. And the rankings are premium. You might go to the rankings and say, what? $30? That's really expensive. Other sites charge less for their rankings. Well, that's true. But other sites also charge for their articles and a lot of other content and tools that we provide for free. The revenue generated from the rankings supplements the podcast. So by going and signing up for a premium account to access the rankings, you're not just buying rankings, you're supporting the podcast. You're making sure this entire initiative, playerprofiler.com, and all the free content on the player profile pages and the podcast and the articles and everything that goes along with it lives on and is accessible to you 24-7. And the final Tennessee Titan I want to talk about is Trey McBride. Because unlike Tajay Sharp, Trey McBride has 
the stature of a productive NFL wide receiver. He's six foot two ten, unlike Tajay Sharp, who we talked about, six two, one ninety-five. Trey McBride is stout. Tajay Sharp is svelte. You want the stout receiver with a lower center of gravity who's harder to press and harder to bring down after the catch. That's Trey McBride. Trey McBride's best comparable player on playerprofiler.com is Pierre Garçon. And it's a very close comparison because Trey McBride runs a 4-4-1. That's a 109.5, 88th percentile height-adjusted speed score. 125.6 burst score, that's 74th percentile. And he has an 1104 agility score, 68th percentile. His 10-18 catch radius is far superior to Tajay Sharp's catch radius, even though he's two inches shorter. Trey McBride. Trey McBride's dominator rating his final year at William & Mary was the same as Tajay Sharp's in his final year at UMass. But Trey McBride did break out a year after Tajay Sharp. So he's less precocious than Tajay Sharp, but he's more athletic and he has an extra year of experience. So I believe the competition for the right to supplant Harry Douglas on that depth chart is going to be closer than people think between Tajay Sharp and Trey McBride. I think someone's going to supplant Harry Douglas. Harry Douglas is the ultimate cardboard cutout wide receiver on the depth chart destined to be supplanted. The question is who's going to do it? Tajay Sharp was a better prospect. Trey McBride has more experience. It's about equal. And I talked earlier about free content. Go to playerprofiler.com forward slash articles. And one of the first three articles you'll see is about the Doro Green Beckham trade and how it impacts the Tennessee wide receiver core, because that's the most interesting aspect of the trade. What do you all ask me to do on this show? Tell the truth about the industry, entertain you with some fun shenanigans, provide you with information that's actionable, backed by things you can measure. And pick out the most interesting aspect of a story and focus on that. And that's what I'm doing with this. I'm not interested in what's going on in Philadelphia. That team is a wasteland. I'm not interested in a reverse engineered rationalization for my embarrassingly high Doro Green Beckham ranking, which I steadfastly refuse to change. No. One player received a boon from this trade, and it's Rashard Matthew. And we talked about how I believe that underperforming your athleticism at the college level is a red flag. That if your size-adjusted athleticism dwarfs the other receivers on your team, the other running backs on your team, and the defenders you'll be facing, you're expected to dominate in an epic way. And when you don't, I become very concerned. And on the Football Diehard show I referenced where I broke down the Seattle Seahawks, that was the last show recorded with Kevin Cole from Rotoviz. Give him a follow at Cole underscore Kev. On that show, I lamented how I am misperceived. I'm viewed as an athlete apologist, someone who chases the workout metric. And I see this all the time on social media. Hey, but he has great metrics. And the person is only looking at the workout metrics. They're not looking at the college dominator. They're not looking at the breakout age. And that's maddening to me. Kristen Michael doesn't have great metrics. He has incredible size-adjusted agility, and he lacks the necessary running instincts and receiving ability to be a productive NFL running back, period. And I lost my mind complaining about Kristen Michael and, and how everyone assumes I love Kristen Michael, even though nothing could be further from the truth. So let's play that audio from the Football Die Hard show. And this pod replay is brought to you by FF Draft Prep. You know the metrics, you know the players you want, what you need is a draft day command center, and a super intuitive, customizable draft day command center does exist. It's FF Draft Prep. 
So you pick the data points you want to display, and it even helps you anticipate the picks of the owners around you while being constantly aware of the best available players at the position. FF Draft Prep changes the game. Use the promo code DIEHARDS to receive 20% off and arm yourself with a tool you need to make fast, intelligent decisions while on the clock. So, no more panic picks. No more bad drafts with the FF Draft Prep experience. I would never draft without FF Draft Prep. I used to draft without it. Now that I have it, I would never go back. That would be like going back to a day without cell phones. How did people live without cell phones? I asked the same question about fantasy drafts. How do people draft without FF Draft Prep? I don't even get it. Anyway, here's me losing my mind. Everyone thinks that I am this athlete apologist that if you have great metrics on playerprofiler.com, then Matt Kelly must like you. That's not true. That's never been true. I've never liked Kristen Michael. Just like I've never endorsed Doriel Green Beckham. Just like I've never liked Cody Latimer. The first thing I look for is college dominance. And then the question becomes, are you also a great athlete? Not vice versa. With Kristen Michael, they say the light has finally come on. Okay, great. That makes sense that he would feel entitled as his second round pick. Then he would get cut and that would be a shock to the system. And then you would bounce around the league and that would be a further shock to the system. And then at age 25, you would mature and you would decide, okay, I'm ready. I'm ready to put the work in. Okay, I get it. I'm here. I'm ready. I'm reporting for duty. I understand that that's possible, but there's no precedent for a player washing out from team to team to team and then circling back to his original team and then suddenly elevating to relevance after never being relevant, going all the way back to his four years at Texas A&M. Players that underperform their athleticism are the ultimate red flags, and I don't see any reason why now is the time for Kristen Michael. Kristen Michael is just a sexier Andre Williams. Neither of these players have that je ne sais quoi factor. These are both big, explosive athletes that lack the necessary feel for the game to be productive producers in the NFL. And at least Andre Williams has a great work ethic. Kristen Michael doesn't even have that. But fantasy gamers are so fickle. After Andre Williams' rookie year, it was unanimous. He's hashtag not good. But after four years... Of sub-Andre Williams productivity, the Kristen Michael hope trafficking continues, and it is vexing to me. The coaches at Texas A&M wanted so badly for Kristen Michael to take over that primary back job, and he constantly relinquished it to the likes of Cyrus Gray. That's been the Kristen Michael career arc. And thank you for bringing up the most important thing that we talked about at the beginning of the Thomas Rawls discussion. He doesn't catch passes either. I mean, he doesn't do anything. He doesn't do anything well. He's never done anything well. All he's ever done is run fast and jump high, and that's it. And I sound like your grandfather. I'm supposed to be player profiler guy. I'm supposed to love athletes. But so many of you are running off into these extremes, liking players that have never been good, who couldn't even produce against far inferior athletes at the college level, that this idea that they would somehow become productive at the professional level 
whether it's Cody Latimer or Jalen Strong or Kristen Michael, it's maddening to me. And then you think I'm the guy that should like them just because I like Jeff Janis. I like Jeff Janis first and foremost because he led all of Division II in receiving yards his final year at Saginaw Valley State. He was an epic college producer with more than a hundred receptions his final year. That's the starting point. It's not the fact that he has a great agility score. Wow, I'm glad I got that off my chest. No one disputes that Kristen Michael is a great size-adjusted athlete. But you know who's a better size-adjusted athlete than even Kristen Michael? Jonathan Stewart. And I talked earlier about the law of the conservation of targets. Targets are going to remain the same. Question is who's going to receive them? Well, there's also a law of conservation of touches, specifically carries. I just completed the Apex Expert Writers League. That draft was murderer's row. Evan Silva, Sean Siegel, Mike Clay, and we're going to have Evan Silva on the show next week, and we're going to talk about that draft, particularly Mike Clay's draft, because while we were all taking wide receivers, Mike Clay was vacuuming up the quote-unquote best value running backs along the way. And I'll ask Evan Silva if he believes that Mike Clay fell into a value trap. Was Mike Clay the mark in that draft? So we'll talk to Evan about that. We'll also talk about the fact that I drafted Cam Newton in the fifth round. Cam Newton in the fifth round? What? That's crazy. One of my favorite podcasts is Rotoviz's Fantasyland. The last episode was about late round quarterback. And they mocked fantasy gamers for drafting Cam Newton this year. There's no way Cam Newton can replicate his 2015 stat line. Well, I drafted him because I think he can. I don't think he's going to score 10 rushing touchdowns, but I think there's a very good chance he throws for 40 passing touchdowns because he's getting Kelvin Benjamin back. I'm not a Kelvin Benjamin enthusiast, but he's a major upgrade over Corey Brown. Everyone would agree on that. And I'm most excited about the growth and evolution of Devin Funchess. All of these external forces are working in Cam Newton's favor. Josh Norman is gone. The defense will not be as good. So he'll be asked to do even more this year. So it's conceivable that Cam Newton outpaces his fantasy output from 2015. And we have a stat on playerprofiler.com called value over stream. And only one quarterback posted a top 40 value over stream last year because the quarterback position is so interchangeable. It was Cam Newton. But when J.J. Zacharyson launched his late round quarterback offensive in 2011, the assault was on the first and second round quarterbacks. The idea that someone could get Cam Newton in the fifth round was never part of the late-round quarterback argument. Cam Newton's value over stream last year was plus 6.3. So in any given game, he was giving you six points more than the best available quarterback on your waiver wire. That is value. And what's more, quarterback valuations are more similar to wide receiver valuations in that they're stable. They're not nearly as fragile and volatile as the running back and tight end valuations. So there's a lot more certainty built into the Cam Newton forecast than there is any given running back forecast. So I felt comfortable drafting a player that would give me a strategic advantage that I could count on in round five. I would much rather draft Cam Newton in round five than any of the running backs that would ever fall into that zone because he plays the quarterback position. And there's no way he's going to lose his job or suddenly become a bad quarterback. That's not going to happen. 
And I believe he will continue to significantly outscore the stream in 2016. That's why I drafted him. It was a rational decision. And then a couple rounds later, I was fortunate enough to draft Jonathan Stewart. And fantasy analysts need to make up their mind about Cam Newton and Jonathan Stewart. Make up your mind. I agree with you that Cam Newton's touchdown total will regress. He's not going to score double-digit rushing touchdowns this year. But I also think the Carolina Panthers offense will be even better. So what does that mean? That means even more red zone carries? Well, then wait, what happens? Wait, if Cam Newton can't score 10 rushing touchdowns and the offense is even better in 2016, who's going to score those rushing touchdowns? Well, duh, it has to be Jonathan Stewart. Jonathan Stewart should score double-digit touchdowns this year, and yet he's falling to me in the eighth round? How? He was top five in rush yards per game last year. He's a workhorse, and the only thing holding him back from top five bell cow status are more goal line carries and more receptions out of the backfield. But that's all Cam Newton's fault because Cam Newton is a swashbuckling quarterback. He doesn't check it down to running backs. He feels no need. When in doubt, he just slings it as far as he can downfield and hopes Ted Ginn can run under it. That's a safety valve throw for Cam Newton. And when he's on the goal line, he chooses to punch it in himself. But if the coaches say, Cam, we don't want you risking your health with these goal line dives, what happens? The law of the conservation of touches says that those goal line carries will shift to Jonathan Stewart. So if you're going to draft Cam Newton, you should also pair him with Jonathan Stewart and ensure that you're locking up all those Carolina red zone touches. Yet you see analysts insisting Cam Newton is going to regress and then not drafting Jonathan Stewart in the middle rounds. It's confounding. Those are the kinds of illogical projections that just make your brain cavity cave in. Just like you have to like Kendall Wright at his ADP based on his projected target share, you also have to like Jonathan Stewart based on his projected opportunity share, particularly in the red zone. He was number two in red zone carries. 47 red zone carries for Jonathan Stewart was number two in the league. If the Carolina coaches implement a Cam Newton health saving plan in the red zone and particularly on the goal line, then Jonathan Stewart will likely lead the NFL in red zone carries. And yet you can get him in the seventh and eighth round. That makes no sense. 